Thanks for tuning in to Dream City Omaha Online. Connect further with us by downloading the Dream City Omaha app or finding us on Facebook and Instagram. Don't forget to subscribe for more. Man, well, good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. How's everybody doing today? It's good to see all of you and your, your beautiful, smiling faces. It's, it's kind of a bummer, though, that we come in on Easter Sunday and it's like 25 degrees outside. Like somebody came in with a stocking hat on today and it's like, listen, it's Easter. Jesus, you had the power to like raise from the dead. Couldn't we just like turn the thermostat up just a little bit? Today to celebrate that. It's good to be with you. Thank you for, for being with us today. Want to just quickly re, re, reiterate the announcement. May 7th in the morning, we're kind of having a double header that day. In the morning, we've got a women's event. In the evening, we've got a men's event. And so, um, ladies, May 7th, the sign up, the registration is out there. $15. Fellas, our event's free. I'm just saying, like, that's because we're cooking our food. I said, we're going to do a chili cook-off, and Angel's like, John, it's May. Nobody wants chili in May. And I said, Angel, we're men, and we will eat chili any day, at any time, for any meal. Like, I don't care. And so, uh, so fellas, if you've got a, a family recipe, or even if your wife has a recipe, contact Pastor Andre. Uh, just come on out. It's going to be a good time. We're going to be we're going to be talking about biblical manhood, and uh, and it's something that God's been putting on my heart. And so I've I've started writing this curriculum for us as men to go through together because the world can tell us what it means to be a man, but we need to get back to understanding what God's word and what his mandate is for us as men. And so that's what that's going to be about. Come on out May 7th. It's going to be great. Today's Easter, Matthew chapter 28. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to read the, the story of that first Easter morning, Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says this, that early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord had come down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothes was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, he said. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen. Somebody say he has risen. Tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. Lord, we thank you for your word today. God, I pray that as we, as we open it, as we examine it, as we study it, Lord, may we open our hearts to it as well. May we open our, our minds to your word. May we open our lives to your word. May we open our relationships to your word. God, may, may every part of our being be open to whatever it is that you want to say to us today. Lord, we thank you that we can gather and we can celebrate the fact that the stone was rolled away, that the tomb is empty. And Lord, we, we got together on Friday on Good Friday to remember the cross. And today we gather to celebrate that even though you were put in that tomb, you didn't stay in that tomb. 
But as the sun rose on that third morning, the ground began to shake, the stone was rolled away, and you stepped out victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And because you were victorious, we can live victorious lives today. Lord, we thank you that there is reason to celebrate this Easter, that you aren't dead, but that you have risen indeed. We love you. We thank you. Be with us today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. If you're just joining us, maybe a friend or a family member invited you, maybe somebody shared the video online and, and you're checking us out. What we've been doing this year is we, we've been reading through the Bible chronologically together. We, we have a daily reading plan. Every day we read three, four chapters and we January started in Genesis, and by the end of the year, we'll have read through the entirety of Scripture in chronological order. And so if you came today invited by somebody, and, and you're expecting to hear kind of the, the typical Easter message, then I'm sorry, I've got bad news for you. You're not going to get that today, at least not not here. Don't get me wrong and don't mishear me. I'm not saying that we're not going to talk about the empty tomb and we're not going to talk about Easter and we're not going to talk about the, the victory that we have access to because Jesus was victorious. But as we've been reading in our chronological plan, what we've done is on Sundays, we've, we've preached and we've taught about what we've read that previous week. And this week we read from 1 Samuel chapter 12 to, you know, in the 20s, we read some Psalms and and part of our reading was 1 Samuel chapter 17, which if you read it, if you're familiar with it, is the story of David and Goliath. Now, at the beginning of the year, when we really felt like God was wanting us to read through the Bible chronologically, there were, there were a couple of dates that I immediately went to. I went to Easter to say, what are we reading on Easter? What are we reading that week? Because we can't be reading the Song of Songs and be preaching an Easter message that's just not going to work. Those of you that aren't laughing, haven't read the Song of Songs yet, we'll get there. Just you wait. It's going to be fun. Just not for Easter. So we, well, what are we reading the week of Easter? And then my second question was, what are we reading the week of Christmas? Because I know that Christmas is like the end of the year. And, and do you know what's at the end of the Bible? It's Revelation. I'm like, I don't know if I can preach Revelation on Christmas Eve and so let me see what this is going to look like. Don't worry, we get to Revelation after Christmas. So it's like the last three days of the year, we're going to be fine. But I was thinking, and, and even at the beginning of this chronological plan, was looking ahead, what are, we, what are we reading the week of Easter? And as soon as I saw it was 1 Samuel chapter 17, I was like, okay, God, I see you. Like, I see the way you work everything out. And even the Psalms that we, we read this week, I had... A friend of mine called me yesterday, and he's like, dude, did you plan this? And I was like, dude, I couldn't plan this. He's like, the Psalms that we read, and, and David's being pursued by Saul, and he says, but God, I'll trust in you, and, and you won't let me be taken down, and, and you are my foundation, and you are my salvation, and, and all these things that David is saying as he's being pursued by Saul and, and others. He said, no, I didn't plan it. God planned it. And so today, I want us to look at a a portion of scripture that many of us are familiar with. It's the story of David and Goliath. 1 Samuel ch chapter 17, we'll have the verses on the screens for you. But to give you some context, Saul is king in Israel. He's the first king. They've asked for a king, so God gave them a king. 
And the Philistines, which are the enemies of Israel at this time, have gathered their army and mustered their forces, and they are on one side of a valley. And in response to that, Saul's gathered the army of Israel. They are on the other side of the valley facing them. And so they're, they're preparing to go to war. And the Bible tells us in verse number four that as these two armies are on opposite sides of the valley, that Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze armor weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead. Just the spearhead weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield and Goliath stood and he shouted a taunt to the Israelites. Here's what he says. Why are you all coming out to fight? I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Now, I want to pause right here. Have you ever had somebody tell you that you couldn't do do something and that you were just blank? That's what Goliath is saying to the Israelites. He says, you have no... You have no place here. You you have no chance against me because I'm a champion and you are just, you are just the servants of Saul. I want you to know today that you're not just and you're never just. The Israelites' response should have been, no, we aren't just the servants of Saul, but we are God's holy chosen people. We are the ones that he has promised to provide for and to protect. We are the ones that he has has moved on behalf of time and time again. We are the ones that he called out of slavery in Egypt. We are the ones that he opened the Red Sea for us to walk across on. We are the ones that, that have the physical manifestation of the presence of God. We are the ones that are in covenant relationship. We're not just. Some of you, your enemy has come to you and he's tried to tell you that you're just. You're just a kid. You're just a student. You're just a stay-at-home mom. You're just an accountant. You're just, what makes you think that you can accomplish something great for God because you're just? I want you to know you're never just, just. He says, choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. He says, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. So Goliath steps out. He begins taunting them. How long does he taunt them for? 40 days. For 40 days, he shouts these taunts to the the Israelites. They're living in fear. Rather than remembering the fact that God said that he would protect them, They instead are are focusing on the size of this giant standing across the valley from them. They're living in fear rather than remembering all of the miracles that God had worked on their behalf in the past. And David shows up. David was out in the, the fields tending to his father's sheep. And his father, Jesse, called him one day and says, hey, I want you to take these sandwiches to your brothers. They're, they're at the battle. They're on the front lines. Go and take them this bread and this cheese. And so he does. And as he's there, he sees Goliath and he hears Goliath. And he's like, hey, who is this guy? He says, who does this guy think that he is? And David's probably like 16, 17 years old at the time. Who does this guy think that he is taunting the army of God like that? 
He says, why isn't somebody going to go out and fight him? And his brothers looked at him like, shut up, David. Like, go back to your sheep. Who you, you think you're going to fight him? And David's like, yeah, I'll fight him. And his brother's like, you're not going to fight him. And David's like, no, I'll fight him. Saul, the king, hears that there's this boy that wants to fight Goliath. So he calls him and he's like, hey, what makes you think that you can fight this giant? So David gives him his resume. He says, well, there was one day I was in the field and I was tending the, the, the sheep. And as I was tending the sheep, there was a bear that came and took one of the sheep. And what I did is I, I took my staff and I hit the bear over the head with this. And I killed this bear with my bare hands. Now he's hanging on my wall. Listen, I can't put that on my resume. I wish I could. I wish I could say that I've killed the bear with my bare hands. I haven't. And so Saul's like, okay, like that sounds pretty good. But what else do you guys like? Well, one day there was a lion that came and a lion took one of my sheep and I ran after that lion. I caught him and I hit him over the head with the club and I killed him too. Now he's on my wall as well. So I was like, wait, so you've killed a bear and you've killed a lion? And, and Dave was like, absolutely. And the same spirit that helped me in those situations, is going to deliver this Philistine to me as well. And so, so Saul's like, okay, well, let me give you some of my armor. And David tries it on. He's like, I can't wear this. It doesn't even fit me. So what does he do? He goes and he gets five smooth stones, puts them in his bag. He takes his staff and his sling, and he, he heads out into battle, going up against this nine and a half foot tall giant of a man, hardened by, by battle, hardened by war. And here's what happens, verse 41. So that Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy faced boy. Just means that he was tan. Like, don't be jealous, Goliath. <laughs> Verse 43, am I a dog that you come to me with, with a stick? And he cursed David by the name of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and I will cut off your head. David was not lacking for any confidence. He says, I will kill you and I'm going to cut off your head. And then I will give your dead bodies to the, then I will give your dead bodies to the men, the dead bodies of your men, excuse me, to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag, taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling, hits the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in. Goliath stumbles to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone. For he had no sword. Then David, a man of his word, ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. And after he cut off his head, he painted half of his face blue and yelled, Freedom! <laughs> like William Wallace. No, he didn't do John Weasel translation. He would have done that, but the Bible doesn't tell us that he did that. But he cuts off his head, and now the head of Goliath is on his wall next to the bear and the lion. 
This morning, as we look at this story, it's a, it's a story that we're familiar with, right? If you, if you grew up in church, you probably were at vacation Bible school as a kid. You probably remember this being taught in Sunday school with the flanograph. You guys remember the flanograph and those things would just magically stick to the board. And you remember these lessons being taught. Even if you, even if you didn't grow up in church, you've heard about David and Goliath, even if you've only heard of it in, in sports context. It's the, the context of an underdog, of somebody who, who has no shot at victory, who from the outside looking in doesn't stand a chance, and yet they're going up against a, a force that is greater than themselves. Even if you understand it in movie context, right? We watch Rocky, and it's Rocky and Apollo, and who do we root for? Rocky. And some of you, have you seen Rocky. Rocky Four. even the Russians started cheering for Rocky. Why? Because we like the underdogs. Daniel LaRusso versus Cobra Kai. One of the greatest underdog stories ever told. Benny the Jet versus the Beast, right? Like, it's an underdog story. SpongeBob versus Plankton. I just want to make sure I cover all generations. I'm just making sure we all know what we're talking about today. There's this conflict and there's this battle that is going on. And we, we see that in David and Goliath. But as I, as I read David and Goliath, I think there's a problem with the story of David and Goliath. And the problem is, is not anything in the text. The problem is not anything in God's word. But the problem is how we, how we read and how we interpret the story of David and Goliath. That's the problem with the story of David and Goliath, because when we read the story of David and Goliath, who do we like to make ourselves be? David, right? Like, who doesn't want to be David? But let me tell you, you're not that guy. So you need, like, you're not that guy, pal. Like, trust me, you're not that guy. We want to be David because David gets the victory, but you can't get the victory. There is an enemy and there is a battle that you are engaged in that you can't be victorious in and you need somebody to fight in your place. Well, if I'm not David, then who am I? You're the Israelite hiding behind the goat, not wanting to fight. We are the Israelites cowering in fear at this giant on the other side. See, the problem with, with reading ourselves as David is, is when, we, when we make ourselves David, then the story of David and Goliath turns into me killing my giants and me running into my valley and me picking up five smooth stones and me using the resources that God has given me. And I'm not saying that God doesn't equip you and empower you to do great things, but you are not David in this story. And when we read ourselves as David, this story only turns into a self-help story. And if we read ourselves as the main character in God's word, then his word only turns into a self-help book. And God's word is not a self-help book. In fact, even the, the idea and the concept of self-help is so counter to what we read in God's word. Because if you could, if you could read a self-help book to, to get yourself to elevate your thinking and to, to live your best life and to achieve this and to do this, then, 
then what would we need God's word for? What would we need the Holy Spirit for? What would we need, what would we need Easter Sunday for? If we could do it on our own strength and in our own power, then, then I don't need God. But the reality is I need him because I can't do it. The reality is I don't have it in me to be David. If I read myself as David, then here's the problem. As young men, we are taught that you know the, we're all going to have Goliath. And like David slew his giant, you can slay your giant. If you would just take that stone and, and throw it and, and trust God going to hit him and, and your giant will fall. Well, what happens when I'm, I'm a 16-year-old man and I'm taught that my giants are going to fall and now I'm 37 and I'm still facing the same giants I was facing at 16? Now what do I do? Because I'm David. No, you're not David. See, we have to understand that, that David was the champion that Israel needed and Jesus is the champion that you and I need. Because the truth is we're all engaged in this battle. It's a war that didn't start in the garden when they ate the fruit. It's a war that started in heaven when Lucifer tried to ascend to the throne of God in Revelation 12. It tells us that there was this war that broke out amongst the angels. Michael kicked Lucifer out of heaven. Him and his angels fell down to the earth. That's the war that we're engaged in now. And just the same way the Israelites needed a champion, you and I need to understand today, this Easter, that we all need a champion. We all need a champion, and, and I'm sorry to let you down today, but you are not the champion of your story. You're not the champion in your story. You're not the hero in your life. We all want to make ourselves be that. But listen, we're not. Even David was not the champion in David's story. Because Saul called him and says, what makes you think? And what does David say? He says, the Lord delivered me from the bear. The Lord delivered me from the lion. And the same spirit that delivered me then will deliver me and hand this Philistine over to me. Even David recognized that I can't do it, but it's God in me that is able to. You're not, the, you're not the champion of your story. You're not that guy. We all need somebody who can, who can step in and go to war for us, and that's exactly what Jesus did. Friday night, we gathered together, Good Friday, and we, we remembered the cross, and we remembered the price that was paid, and we remembered what that act of love signified and what it meant and what it accomplished for us. That is, Jesus hung on that cross. He took upon himself the, the penalty and the price that you and I deserve to pay, which was death for our sin. And yet he took that upon himself. Second Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that he made him who knew no sin, he had no sin to be sin for us. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus didn't sin. But he took upon himself the weight of, of all of us. Why? Because he chose to, to go to battle when we couldn't. See, the Israelites looked to somebody to do something that they couldn't do. Today, you need to look to somebody who can do something that you can't do, and that's to set you free from the power and the penalty of sin in your life. And that's why, that's why we gather today. See, what's interesting is Goliath steps forth and he says, listen, I'm the champion of the Philistines. And when you study that and you look at the, the ancient language in which the Old Testament was written, that word champion is only used two times in the entirety of Scripture, and both times are referring to Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17. 
Now, what does that word mean? That word champion literally means a man who stands in between two armies. It's a man who stands in the gap for someone. It's a man who, rather than causing the entire army to go to war, says, I will go to war for you. As we come together on Easter Sunday, I don't think there's a better picture to paint of what Jesus has done for us than to think of him as our risen champion. The one who stands in the space between two armies. And there's this war that is being waged between light and dark, between good and evil. And Jesus inserts himself into our story and says, because you can't go to war for yourself, I will go to war on your behalf and I will grab heaven with one hand and I will grab humanity with the other hand. And what you can't do, I will do because I am that champion. And on Good Friday, Jesus hung on the cross, literally suspended between two spaces. Suspended between heaven and earth as he hung there for hours, bearing the weight of your sin because he loved you. He says, I will stand in the space between. I will be that champion. And today we have to remember that Jesus is that champion. And as David ran over, he grabbed the sword and he cut off the head of this giant. We also celebrate today because Jesus has, has cut off the head of our enemy. In fact, you go back to Genesis chapter three, what was the curse as they were leaving the garden? The curse to the serpent is I will put enmity between her offspring, Eve, and yours. And, and you will be at war and, and you will bruise his heel. But what's he going to do? He's going to crush your what? Your head. He's going to crush your head. And as David cut off the head of this giant, it was a picture of what Jesus was one day going to do. See, not only do we have to remember that we need a champion, but the second thing that we have to remember and that we celebrate today is the fact that our enemy is defeated. Our enemy is defeated. Jesus has, has already secured the victory. He's already paid the price. He's already done it. First Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that. Sin is the sting that results in death and the law gives sin its power, but thank God that he gives us what? Victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no longer the, the, the sting of death. The wages of sin is death, but because of Jesus, he's already taken that sting for us. He's already paid the price for us. So what our enemy was trying to use against us, Jesus says, ha I'm gonna turn that around on you and I'm gonna pay the price, not just for an army and not just for a nation and not just for a people group, but I'm gonna pay a price for all of humanity and I'm gonna do what they can't do and I'm gonna defeat you where they can't be victorious, I will give them victory through me. That's what the empty tomb does for us. That's what it signifies for us. We have to understand that, that the enemy has been defeated. David went, he cut Goliath's head off. He secured the victory. We have to understand that our enemy, he's, he's been defeated. I was watching TikTok. And this is by no means an endorsement of TikTok. This is by no means me telling you to go download TikTok. If you don't let your kids on TikTok, I applaud you as a parent. But I was on TikTok. <laughs> and, and you know how like 
the whole metaverse algorithms, like they, they, they just show you the stuff that they know you want to see because they've been following you and they've been tracking you and they know what videos you watch and they know what you search for. And so they give you the things that you're going to want to watch. So your TikTok is essentially just a reflection <laughs> of all of your past searches. And some of you are like, I'm never downloading it. Don't. But on my TikTok, I was watching TikTok the other day. And as I'm scrolling through TikTok, my TikTok is funny because my TikTok will be a golf video. And it's like, here's how to fix your swing. I'm like, thanks, I need that. And then the next video will be somebody falling and hurting themselves. And then it'll be like three conspiracy videos in a row. Like the earth is flat and there's reptilians that are taking over everything. And the Mayan calendar was not wrong. It just, we misinterpreted it and just conspiracy, conspiracy, conspiracy. And then somebody else will hurt themselves again. And then it's another golf video. And that's my TikTok. So if that tells you anything about me, there you go. But I was watching it one day and, and at some point I must have liked a, a snake video because every now and then I'll get this video of this guy in Arizona who he goes to people's homes when they have a snake in their house and he removes it and then he sets the snake free. So every now and then I hate snakes. But it's one of those things like you can't not watch, right? Like when you're in a scary movie and you want to cover your eyes, but you watch it like this, like I got to see and so I'm watching this guy and he's out walking on this trail and he comes upon this carcass of this snake and the body's over here, but the head has been severed. And so he's like, you know, the, the head has been cut off of the snake. Somebody was probably out here walking with their, their dog or something and, and they just wanted to, to remove the thread. It's a shame. I wish they wouldn't have. They should have just called me, but they cut the head off. But then he's like, but now we have to find the head. And I'm like, well, he's dead. Like, what do you need to find the head of this dead snake for? And he, he begins to explain, and then the video ends. I'm like, okay, where's part two? I need to get to part two. And he comes back, and he's, he's talking about how that with venomous snakes, if you, if you were to ever kill a snake, you need to take the head, and you need to bury the head. How many of you knew that? Yeah, like three of you that grew up in the Southwest. Those of us in Nebraska, like, we don't know. I tell you what to do when you pick corn off of a stock, but I can't tell you what to do when you kill a rattlesnake. And so he says, when you, when you, when you cut the head off of the snake, you need to take and you need to bury the head of the snake. And now I'm like, okay, but you got to tell me why. Because like, if I ever do battle against a rattlesnake, I need to know how to really kill this thing. And so he says, well, the problem is that the, the way that snakes are made and their nervous systems, and because they're cold-blooded, their nervous systems will remain firing for, for a longer period of time, even after the head has been severed. And so he said, even though the, the body's over here and the head's over here, for, for 20 hours or so, a day, maybe two days, if something were to brush up against the, the head of this snake, just by instinct, by reflexes, and, a, and, a, and an act of the nerve still firing in its head, it would latch out and bite whatever brushed up against it. I'm like, those things, no wonder like devils always called a serpent in a snake. Like, <laughs> my gosh. And he says, he says, not only do you, not only can they still bite for about a day or two, he says, but, but even if you left it out and, and it began to decompose and it was out here for a couple of months and, and all the scales and everything, all skin has, has gone away and it's just a skeleton, it's just the, the head of the snake. He said, if somebody were to walk by barefoot or a dog or something and you were to step on that, 
that skeleton, that head of that snake, there is still venom like preloaded in its fangs and it doesn't even have to bite you. But if you just step on the fang, the venom that is stored there would inject into your bloodstream and, and hurt you, potentially kill you still at that point, even months after this snake has lost its head. And I, and I watched that and my hatred for snakes had never been higher. <laughs> like, thank God we don't live in Albuquerque anymore and I don't have to deal with rattlesnakes anymore and none of that. Like, I'm just here praying that this wind dies down. Like, thankfully, like that's the, the, the height of my problems at this point. But anyway, so I'm watching this and, and I'm, I'm hearing this, I'm finding this out. So I'm like, surely that can't be true. So I go to Google, verify, fact check, like, yep, true, fact check. As, as I was thinking about that, as it pertains to our time here today, understanding that our enemy has been defeated, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't still have the power to destroy us. And so many times we, we can gather and we can be like, yes, thank you, Jesus, that you cut off the head of our enemy and you crushed the serpent's head, but, but then we go as if we don't have a responsibility in this. As if, as if we still shouldn't be active in recovering our identity, as if we shouldn't be active in maintaining our sexual purity, as if we, we still shouldn't be guarding our hearts and guarding our minds and guarding our thoughts. Because John 10, 10, Jesus says that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. First Peter tells us to be vigilant because your enemy prowls like a lion looking for somebody to devour. He can still hurt you. He can still harm you. He still wants to destroy your marriage and your future and your purpose, but you have to allow him to because Jesus has cut off his head and our enemy is defeated. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that we just carelessly walk by. That doesn't mean that we just carelessly graze up against. That doesn't mean, why? Because even though it's lost its head, it's still dangerous. Even though it's lost its head, it still has the ability to harm us. So what must we do? Okay, if Jesus has secured the victory, what's my role in it? Your role in it is this, to learn to move forward victorious. There is a part that we play. When David cut off the head of the, the giant, says that the Philistine army saw that their champion was dead. So what did they do? They turned and ran. And as they ran, the Israelites saw them running. So what did the Israelites do? They chased them down. David wasn't the only one that got victory that day. The entire army got victory. But once the enemy lost his head and the defeat was secured, then they moved forward from victory, not for victory, but from victory to recover everything that had been taken from them. The same is true for you and me. Jesus has secured our victory, but now we must move forward in victory to recover everything that the enemy has stolen from us. We must learn to move forward victorious. Romans tells us, tells us this, who will condemn us? No one, why? Because Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And right now he's sitting at the right hand of God, pleading for us. Can anything then ever separate us from Christ's love? No, of course not. Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry, destitute, danger, threatened with death? No, despite all of these things, overwhelming, not, not you squeaked it out by the skin of your teeth. 
Not you hit a buzzer beater at the end to win it. Overwhelming victory is ours, not because of us, but what? Through Christ Jesus. See, the victory that we have is not found in us, it's found in him. So how do I tap into that victory? Submit your life to him. Surrender your heart to him. Place your faith in him. First John chapter five gives us kind of that, that blueprint. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. Verse four, every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through what? Our faith. What is our faith? Our faith is Friday night and Sunday morning. Our faith is that Jesus hung on a cross and paid a price that you and I deserve to pay. And that, that price was death. That price was life. That, that price was blood and he paid it. But he didn't stay dead because on Sunday morning he got up. And because he got up, we can get up. Because he died on Friday, my sins could be forgiven. But because he lives on Sunday, I have new life in him. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus has secured the victory, but you must learn to move forward victorious in it. How do I do that? Through relationship with him. Through love of God through obeying his commands, through, through receiving him, not just as my savior, but as the Lord of my life as well. See, I hate to break it to you today, but you're not David. You're not the champion. You're not the hero of your story. We all need a hero, and today Jesus is that hero. David secured victory for a nation. Jesus secured victory for all of humanity. Goliath's head was cut off, and in the garden, God said that one day Jesus was going to crush the head of the serpent. Goliath mocked David. Here's what's interesting to me. When David comes out to Goliath in that valley, what does Goliath say to him? He says, am I a dog that you come at me with, with a stick and with stones in your pocket? Is essentially what he's saying. He's saying, you're coming to fight me with sticks and with stones says, you have no chance. My spearhead weighs 15 pounds. My armor weighs 125 pounds. You're coming to me with, with sticks and stones. Get out of here, boy. And yet with those sticks and with those stones, David was victorious. What's interesting to me this weekend is we talk about the victory that we have through our faith. What are the what are the symbols of our faith? It's a cross on Friday night and a stone that's been rolled away on Sunday morning. Goliath looked at David and said, you want to come to me with sticks and stones and try to do battle? And Jesus says, let me show you exactly what sticks and stones can do. I will hang on a tree for the forgiveness of sins. And then three days later, I will move that stone so that they can have new life in me. Today, if you need access to that new life, don't leave before putting your faith in Jesus. Stand with me today. And just bow your heads, close your eyes. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the victory that you have and the victory that we have through you. We thank you that we are not the champion of our story. And yeah, it's funny, once we, once we resign the position of champion in our story, it takes so much pressure off because I just get to be me and let you be you. Lord, today we thank you for the victory. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for 
the cross on Friday night and because of your blood, our sins can be forgiven. God, thank you that you have saved us from the penalty of sin. God, thank you that today you are currently saving us from the power of sin. Now, one day when you come back, you will save us from the very presence of sin. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I wanna give you an opportunity to do so. I'm not gonna have you do anything crazy. I just wanna pray with you right where you're at. I just wanna know who I'm praying with. If you're here today, you say, Pastor John, that's me. I need to resign as champion of my life and let Jesus be my champion. Would you do me a favor? Would you just raise your hand? Just wanna pray with you right where you're at. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, sir. You can put it back down. Once you've raised your hand, you can put it back down. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you, young man. Thank you, sir. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. Just pray this prayer with me. Repeat after me, church. Would you help us pray today? There's nothing special about this prayer. It's just a prayer of repentance, a prayer of confession, a prayer of acceptance. Just pray this prayer. Just say, Jesus, thank you so much that because you died, my sins can be forgiven. And because you rose again, I can experience new life in you. And today, I confess, I've messed up. I've made a mess of it all. I've tried to be my own champion for far too long. Today, I receive you, not just as my savior, but as the Lord and as the master of my life. Tell me to live for you according to your word, according to your ways, seeking to glorify you in everything that I do from this day forward. Thank you that I have new life and victory through you in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you today. God, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer. God, I, I thank you for the empty tomb. I thank you, Lord, for your victory. I thank you for the victory that we get to walk in each and every day. Lord, today we, we declare that you are the champion of our lives. We declare that our enemy is defeated, but God, even though his head is cut off, we will move forward victoriously in that. God, go with us this week and help us to, to show others the hope, the love, and the joy that we have found in you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Love you, church. Happy Easter. Have a great week. At Dream City Omaha, we're all about helping each other do three things. Discover Christ, recover identity, and uncover purpose. Please check out our past sermon series or online discipleship classes. And don't forget to hit subscribe and the bell for notifications on all of our latest videos.